Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us. But truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. Man, I'm glad you've tuned in today. Welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits, the podcast for those that are fed up with status quo Christianity and don't want God to be perceived as being boxed in, and therefore they don't want to be boxed in. That's you. If you're listening today, I'm grateful because uh, you have connected on some level with kind of the vibe that God has um, released through this podcast, and we're so grateful that we hear from uh, lots of you guys, and I'm thankful that um, we're able to make a, a small impact in your journey with Jesus. Chances are you are part of a remnant that is um, really pressing into the Lord, and you just want to know what is true, what is right. You want to have a greater understanding of what the Lord is actively doing in your generation right now, and you're hoping to get in on whatever it is that he is doing, rather than just kind of ho-humming along like all of the religious lemmings that, you know, just follow the crowd and do whatever they're doing. And so thanks for tuning in today. Um, I am going to give you just a quick, um, I guess, a logistical note. I'm going to a one-time-a-week format for a little while. Um, as many of you know, I've become the new pastor at church at Winder, and that is my new post, and um, we have a lot going on. If you're curious, the Lord's doing some wonderful stuff up here. It's very different from any ministry that I've been in before, and um, I'm just excited about it. I'm loving what the Lord is doing, meeting a lot of new people, learning um, really new approaches to ministry that are stretching me and uh, encouraging me, causing me to lean on the Lord. Um, the ramifications of that is that I have currently less time during the week than I once did because I'm in a lot of meetings with a lot of people. We've got some renovation projects going on at the church. I'm planning new sermon series and uh, really just kind of uh, taking the harness of a church that is hungry, a group of people that really love the Lord, and it's finally feeling like home. Uh, it took about a month for them to get used to me and me to get used to them, but something happened on Easter Sunday, I felt, uh, prophetically that the Lord was saying that after Easter Sunday, we were going to see um, a difference. And I really felt like something popped on Easter Sunday that um, allowed me to just really fully embrace um, the role that God's given me. So anyway, that was a long-winded way of saying that I'm, gonna, I'm going to go to a one podcast a week format, whereas I have been doing two. Uh, you'll start hearing the podcast drop on Tuesdays each week, and it'll be one a week for a little while until we get back into that ability to do two a week. Today, I really want to release a word that I feel like is very important. Um, it's I'm going to talk to you about perceiving a new move of God. And I have been in a personal study in the book of Ezra, that Old Testament book, and it parallels kind of um, what's going on in my life. So I made a personal study of the book of Ezra, and I want to share some of these thoughts with you. Um, today, what, what does it mean to perceive a new work of God? Well, the first thing that you've got to ask yourself is, are you one of those people that believes that God is actually doing something? I know that sounds like a ridiculous question, but a lot of Christians live as if God is primarily historical. 
that he set something in motion, you know, 2,000 years ago, and, and then he kind of just busies himself with other stuff right now while that thing he set in motion 2,000 years ago continues. And so they think of God historically. So they read the Bible in a historical lens. They read the Bible and say, this is what God used to do. This is how God used to be. And I know that they would never do this on purpose, but they, they almost disconnect the God of the Bible from the God in their life. And other than learning some rules and some principles and a couple of theological points that kind of kind of keep them anchored, um, they don't really they don't really interact with God as if He is alive, as if He is interactive, as if He is doing, willing, thinking, and speaking in the present day. And so, in other words, they have uh, what I call an academizing of the faith. It's been academized. That simply means it's been made into a intellectual um, understanding of God rather than an interrelational um, relationship with God or connection with God. And so when I'm reading the book of Ezra, what I'm finding out is that it, in context, it's a book about um, after 70 years of, of the children of Israel being in captivity and not really seeing a move of God, all of a sudden God begins to move. He had prophesied through Jeremiah that they would go into captivity for 70 years because of their sin, because of their idolatry, because of their refusal to listen to the prophets he sent. They would not repent. And so God told them, hey, you're going to go into captivity under a pagan king, and you're going to live there for 70 years. And when those 70 years were completed, um, God keeps his word. And so he began to move and release the captives back to their homeland, to Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple to eventually rebuild the city walls, to rebuild Jerusalem and resume the national life of Israel and so that he could relate to them again as their God. Now, what's interesting is, think about it. If God doesn't do anything in your your um, region, in your family, in your church, in your people, if God doesn't do anything for seven decades... Um, you you got to realize, unless you're a very old person, it means your entire life you've never seen a move of God. I want you to think about that because that was the context of the majority of the people in Israel when they came back in the times of Ezra. They had never seen a move of God. Now listen, they had heard about God. They had been taught about God, but they had grown up in pagan captivity away from the place of the covenant, away from Jerusalem away from that that region that that their ancestors associated with great moves of God. And so all they heard about was what God did with David, what God did with Solomon, what God did with Moses, what God did with Abraham and Deborah and Gideon and you know Jacob and Isaac and Joseph. They heard all of the stories about what God used to do. But they had never seen a move of God. As a matter of fact, all it was was history to them. But then all of a sudden, God begins to move. And so in the book of Ezra, you you find out that this move of the Lord involved um, moving the heart of a pagan king to release the captives back into their homeland. Uh, God was going to send them back to Jerusalem, and they were going to um, resume national religious civic life as the people of God. 
And so one of the first things that they did when they got back is they built the altar and they began to sacrifice and worship under the Lord. But it came time where they needed to rebuild the temple. Now, the temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians some 70 plus years earlier. And so now in chapters one and two of Ezra, you've got this long, long, long list of people that went back to um, the promised land. And so God began to stir up people and God began to call people. And the king, the pagan king said to them, Cyrus did, whoever wants to go back can go back. And the Bible says um, that whoever's heart had been stirred by the Lord. It's an important verse. Um, whoever's heart had been stirred up by the Lord, well, they went back. And by the way, that's um, that's in Ezra chapter 1, verse 5. You know, who, whoever God had stirred up to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the house of the Lord there, um, they went. And then chapter 2 tells you all these people that went, the tribes and clans. And so chapter 2 is a little bit tedious, but it lets you know that there were thousands upon thousands of people that went back to Jerusalem saying, we want to take part in this new work of God that he's doing. So all of a sudden, you've got a generation of people that are saying, oh, wow, we don't have to ride on our parents' and grandparents' stories about what God used to do. God's doing something in our generation. We have a part in a move of God. And a lot of them said yes to it. And so when chapter three comes along in the book of Ezra, you've got some individuals that are specifically called up to become primary people in this move of God. You've got uh, Joshua, the high priest. You've got Zerubbabel, who was more of the, the governmental leader. You're going to find out later that you've got the prophet Zechariah. And so, and then later Haggai. And so you've got some key people that weren't just lost in the crowd. You know, when God wants to do a new work, yes, he will move in a generation. He will clearly signal to that generation, I am doing something new. And it's incumbent upon that generation to recognize that move of God and to say yes to it. And as they are saying yes to it from among their their own selves, God will elevate. He will spotlight. He'll highlight certain individuals and say, I want you to have a primary role in this move I'm doing. I want you to steward this part of it. And he'll say to another person, I want you to steward this part of it. And then he'll say to another one, you, you're going to have jurisdiction over this part of it. And so that's what was happening with Joshua, the high priest, and Zerubbabel, the civic leader, and Zechariah, the prophet. They, they were all being called of God to step forth proactively in faith, and say yes to a calling on their lives in the midst of a generation where God was doing something new. They perceived the move of God. Now, the reason why I want to talk to you about this today is because this was a pivot point for the nation of Israel. Because not everybody that went back to Jerusalem from captivity, not everybody was a younger person. Some of them were actually older people that were very young when Israel had gone into captivity. And so their lives would have contained memories of the first temple that was destroyed. Yet when Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon came in and destroyed Jerusalem, um, they, they killed the people. They took captive many people, but they absolutely destroyed the city. They tore down the walls. They, they demolished the temple. They burned it. And Israel watched their glory. Ichabod, the glory of God has departed. 
Um, that was that was kind of the banner that hung over that season in their lives. And it was all because of their rebellion and sin. So God showed them, hey, if you're going to treat my presence, my covenants, my will, my law with contempt, you will be disciplined. And he warned them so many times and saying, I don't want to do this, but you're, you're forcing my hand, so to speak. I'm going to have to discipline you. And they, they ultimately, they, of course, they said that, um, <laughs> you know, God, we're going to do what we're going to do. And God said, well, then I'm going to have to do what I'm going to have to do. And he sent them away into captivity. And so, but when these older people that were now back in the land, when they were little, they would have remembered the glory of Solomon's temple, this massive, beautiful, lavish structure that was um, provided for by King David and actually built under the reign of King Solomon. It was the most glorious edifice in the land and um, generations would have known about it. And unfortunately, because of their sin, it was destroyed. And so these now old people, they would have remembered the glory of the former temple, which had been destroyed. So now they're all coming back, the older and the younger. And the younger are excited, man. The younger are like, oh, my goodness, we're free from captivity. We're going back to the homeland. What we've only known as history, we're about to know in our own lives. And God's releasing us, and we're going to rebuild our city. We're going to rebuild the place of our people. We're going to rebuild the temple. We're going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. God has called us to do a, good, a, a new work. And we've got our leaders, we've got Joshua, we've got Zerubbabel, we've got Zechariah, we've got the prophets, and we've got the priest, and we've got the governors. This is awesome. And so they began to lay the foundation of the temple. Now let me read you this verse from Ezra chapter 3. A couple of verses actually. because so And, and get it, God is doing a new work. There is a ton of momentum, a ton of excitement, a ton of anticipation, but watch this. It says in Ezra chapter 3, verse 12, many, note, note that, many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. So those two innocuous verses, let me explain them. So the foundation of the temple is being laid. And remember, the people who had never seen a move of God were ecstatic. They were thrilled. There had been nothing better in their lives than this new move of God. But the older generation, some of the priests and the Levites, when they saw the new foundation of the new temple being laid, they were cut to the heart. They were actually mourning. They were sad. They were depressed. They were in agony because, why? Because their memories of what God had once done, the former temple, Solomon's temple, which had been destroyed, that memory of that past work was more real to them than the vision of the present work. Did you hear me on that? The memory of a previous move of God was more real to them than the preciousness of the current move of God. 
And so what you've got is you've got this older generation looking back and saying, oh, no, this is not like it was back in our day. And then you've got this new generation saying, I can't believe we're out of captivity. I can't believe that God is moving. I can't believe that we get a chance to steward a work for the glory of our God. This is awesome. And all of these people are in the same crowd. And they're all seeing the same thing, but one crowd is one part of the crowd is seeing it in and comparing it to what they see in retrospect. And the other people, the typically the younger ones, are seeing this move of God in prospect. Retrospect or prospect? looking behind or looking forward. And they're all making a noise. Some of them are weeping over what they perceive as a loss and others are shouting with victory and joy over what they see as an opportunity. Can I tell you that in Ezra's day, that wasn't the last time that different generations were called to work together to steward a present move of God. And it also wasn't the last time where you had mixed signals coming from the people of God. And, and I want to give this word. Now, most of you that are young, uh, listening are younger. Um, Mavericks and Misfits resonates with the younger crowd, but some of you are not as young as, as those that are uh, tuning in. And some of you are my age. I'm 50. I'll be 51 in a few weeks. And uh, I'm, I'm not a young guy anymore, but I like to think like one. I like to operate like one. I like to move like one. I like to anticipate like a young person. But there is the temptation for all of us that are middle-aged or older to romanticize um, the work of God in previous generations. There's something we've got to learn here. Let me, let me just let me cause you to think for a second, just give you an opportunity to think about this. When God does a new work in a generation, we've got to make sure that we are among those people who are shouting in hope instead of being among those people who are mourning in nostalgia. I mean, the old priest could only see what God had previously done. And inwardly, they were desiring to re-experience what God had previously done. But the younger priest had never seen a move of God. So when it was plain to them that God was moving in their midst, they had nothing to compare it to. It was fresh. I mean, it was real. It was happening right then and there. So they shouted in victory. Of course they did. It was the best thing that had ever happened to them. But you had the older ones that were looking back rec- retrospectively in nostalgia, and all they could do was mourn. They were missing the preciousness of the new work that God was doing because it didn't appeal to them like the previous works that God had done. What do we learn from this? Well, let me just give you a simple thing of instruction right now. And you don't have to be an older person to to receive this instruction. This can, this can happen when somebody who's 25 is looking back on what God was doing when they were 22 and wishing they could recapture it. Um, we got to be careful not to romanticize the kingdom of God. God alone, listen, God alone determines the timing and the scope, the breadth of, of what he does in his kingdom. So maybe a new move appears differently than a former move of God in your life, but it's not the move of God that should own your heart. It's, it's the presence of God. I mean, the fact that he moves on our behalf at all should continue to humble and thrill us. And so when he's doing something new, you cannot rear view mirror your way through it. You have to look at it for what it is. It's not meant to be compared to what God once did. 
And, and by the way, let me just say this. Be careful not to take pride in the move of God in your life now because it's bigger maybe than it was in people's lives that went before you. Some people look back and say, oh, no, God was moving back then, but this is small in comparison. Other people look back in pride and say, oh, we don't need to learn or, or regard anything from the past because that was nothing. Look at what God's doing in my life now. Young people, you hear me on that. It's a real temptation to dismiss the experiences of the generations that have gone on before you. But the only reason you're walking in what you're walking in is because somebody steward what, stewarded what God did in their generation, and it built towards what God's doing in your generation. And so I don't want to be, as a you know 50-year-old, I don't want to be one of those that is weeping over perceived loss in the present season because it's not as it once was. Listen, let me just ask everybody, are, are you scanning the horizon behind you? Hoping like that old thing will appear once again. But because God's actively doing something else, God's doing something new. And the question is, are you willing to shout to the Lord in gratitude over what he is determining to do right now? That's what it means to perceive a move of God. You've got to recognize that it's good because God's doing it. And it's not lesser than because it's different than what he once did. It's God is wise. God always does what is best. And so if he's doing something now, but it doesn't look like the way you thought it would look or the way you thought it would be compared to previous moves of God, if you can't be happy until it eclipses what he used to do, then you're basically dictating to God what God needs to do in order for you to shout the victory shout. You're saying, Lord, you got to get it up to what I want before I start saying I perceive this new work and I regard it as something valuable. Yeah, I'm telling you, when you look back and you're trapped in that comparison mode, it, it'll wreck you. You'll miss the value of what God's doing right now. By the way, it was in Zechariah's day on, on this um in this context, when they, they began to build the temple, it was Zechariah was the prophet when he perceived the wailing and the lamenting of the older generation because it wasn't as big and ornate. The temple wasn't as glorious as Solomon's temple. It's Zechariah who asked the rhetorical question. He says, who has despised the day of small beginnings? Zechariah saying to his generation, he's saying, yes. Compared to the former temple, this is small. This is smaller. This is not as visually glorious. The metrics aren't as big. But Zechariah says, you're not despising it, are you? You're not, you're not losing the value of this present moment, are you? Because it's not like what you once experienced. Oh my goodness, that's a word right there for some of you. Quit trying to recapture the past. God is not obligated to bless today what he blessed yesterday. God is not obligated to give in to this American presumption that everything must grow in size and luster in order for it to be good. Americans, we live with, even the church, we live with a lot of presumption that, you know, the trajectory is always up, 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 bigger, 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 cooler, 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 nicer, 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 more wealthy, more wealthy, more wealthy. And we, we live in this false paradigm and we, we forget that John the Baptist at the pinnacle of his ministry said, now it's time to decrease so that Jesus may increase. And so we've got to be grateful 
for prior moves of God. But guys, we can't clutch them. We cannot live to relive what God once did. He's doing something fresh. So we've got to get in on that and let your shout be heard among the others. Now, interestingly, as the book of Ezra goes on, and I'm done today, I'm, I'm not going to give you the full, the full Monty on the book of Ezra, but as the book of Ezra goes on, of course, they uh, finish the rebuilding of the temple. They reestablish the sacrificial system. Nehemiah leads a second group of people years later to rebuild up the walls of Jerusalem. And, um, you know, for a short time, the people are walking in great joy and great conviction and great power in the present move of God. So, friends, what does that have to do with your life and my life? Well, I'm, I'm just asking you right now, you, the individual listener, I'm asking you, can you perceive what God is doing in your generation? And if you're not perceiving it yet, do you want to? Have you asked the Lord, Lord, what are you actually doing right now? Not, not what does everybody say you're doing, but Lord, me, as your child, tell me what you're doing. What do you want me to do? What do I get in on? There, there, there can't be 5,000 different priorities that God is releasing in a generation um, though he may work in 5,000 different individuals, he, he has one vision and one primary work that he's doing in a generation. And of course, it, for, for us, it comes under the, the banner of establishing the kingdom of God through the advance of the gospel, through the discipleship of those who come to Jesus by faith, through the proclamation of the glory of the Lord and preparing for the second coming. I mean, that's what God is doing. But within that broader banner that I just described, there are moves of God in regions, in cities, in families. There are different things. And the issue is, is not that we um, don't have something from the Lord that he's offering. The issue is, is very few people are asking, God, what are you doing and how do I get in on it? A lot of people are just saying, well, I'm looking for God to do what he did in Acts 2. And until that happens, I guess it's business as usual. Well, friends, I love Acts 2. I mean, come on, send Pentecost number two. I'm ready. I want something bigger. I want something greater. But if that doesn't happen, and by the way, it hasn't happened yet. There hasn't been the rushing mighty wind. It hasn't been the tongues of fire appearing above the heads of people. It hasn't been a completely reduplicated thing. And if I'm sitting around waiting for a, um, a re-manifestation of Pentecost as described in Acts 2, I'm going to miss what God is doing because even in the book of Acts, God didn't redo Acts chapter 2. You get to Acts chapter 9, it's something different. You get to Acts chapter 10, something different. Acts chapter 15, something different. God is not in the habit of just duplicating what he once did in history. He's creative. And, and God works in generations and regions in different ways. And so my question to you is, hey, maybe you're a Joshua the high priest that he's raising up. Maybe you're a Zerubbabel that God wants to use in a secular marketplace kind of governmental situation. Maybe you are a prophet, Zechariah, that, that the word of the Lord is going to come through you. Maybe you're a priestly pastoral person that's going to represent the people to God. I, I don't know. 
what God is doing in your life. But I do know this, to those that are asking him, he will reveal it. So we must perceive the new work of God. You, I'm going to be straightforward with you. You must perceive the new work of God. He's not playing peekaboo with you. If you ask him, he will reveal it to you. I want to thank you for tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits today. If you're a first-time listener, go by our website. It's our umbrella website called transformingtruth.org. Transformingtruth.org is our media ministry. It's also our missions arm of what we do. We help out in other parts of the globe, primarily in um, East Africa. And uh, you can check out some of the stuff that's going on at Transforming Truth right now. I write my blog there about once a month. There's also a ton of free video resources. And I'm just, I'm just here to help you in your journey, to stir you up, to cause you to think and to cause you to perceive, to have an opportunity anyway, to perceive what God is doing. And I do believe that the more we ingest the word of the Lord, the more we are communicating about the things of God, the more we divorce ourselves from the chaos of the culture and the political and the you know, just the cultural division and get into the word of God, we will have a better grip on what we see happening in the culture. You don't go to Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or wherever to find out what God is doing. Those things can tell you what's happening in the culture, but you have to get above that and say, God, what are you doing? Because what's going on in the culture doesn't have the primary authority. So if you go by transformingtruth.org, you're going to find out a lot of resources there. If you've never gotten a copy of my book, Figuring It Out As I Go, you can order it there off of transformingtruth.org. I encourage you to get a copy of that. Um, you can also get it on Amazon or wherever else you buy books. Or if you prefer to listen, and if you're listening to a podcast, you may prefer to listen to somebody read a book. You can get Figuring It Out As I Go at on audible.com. I narrate it there. And uh, I just hope that you will benefit from that. It's my story of how God has led me over the years uh, without a syllabus. I, I've never really had this master plan for how to do the Christian life. I am literally figuring it out as I go, following the scripture, learning the Holy Spirit. And that book chronicles a very interesting journey that began when I was a small boy and leads up to the present day. So I hope you'll grab a copy of it. Tune in next time. Listen, don't forget to rate and review Mavericks and Misfits. Share it. Tell somebody about it. That helps us. I'm not asking you for money. I'm not asking you to give anything. I'm just saying the thing that you can do to help us get the word out is to share the Mavericks and Misfits podcast on your social media feeds. Like it and review it there on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Spotify, just give us a review. And uh, help us get the word out. All right, my time's gone. God bless you. Hey, do you dig the music? The music always lets you know that you've made it through another episode. And it also lets you know that Jeff is signing off. So we'll talk to you next time. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.